Hey everyone, it's Pastor Matt. Grab a beer, open the Bible, and ask some questions. This is Beers and Bibles. Episode 2, Bell's Winter White Ale and John 2. Bell's Brewing Company is based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Their Winter White Ale is a Belgian whip beer that's 5% ABV. They write of their Winter White, it's an alternative to the dark and heavy winter warmers and stouts. Winter White is a stylish and refreshing wheat ale fermented with a Belgian ale yeast. This blend of barley and wheat malts uh, yields a mixture of clove and fruity aromas, all without the use of any spices. It's deliberately brewed to retain a cloudy appearance. Winter White is a beer for embracing winter. In John chapter 2, the author, John, the disciple of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, makes a couple of hard pivots. It turns from the initial story that he'd been telling in John chapter 1. It's going to make some uh, some interesting conversation for what's going on in Jesus' uh, life to this point and how he starts his ministry. So we're jumping in John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. John writes in verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this is a a statement a a couple of times that uh, will get uh, construed as Jesus being disrespectful to his mom. But in the culture of the day, woman, the title, his mom, not going to be disrespectful. It's a a term of uh, endearment, if you will. But Jesus is basically saying to her, you know, what does this have to do with me? My hour, my... uh, my launching of my public ministry, it's not, it's not yet. And his mom responds, doesn't talk to Jesus, just talks to the servants. She says in verse 5, do whatever he tells you. And I've got to be honest, as a son who has a mother who's probably made similar statements to me before about doing things I am, uh, I'm requested to do, uh, my mom will, will just say, yeah, uh, just go do it and, and won't come back. And, and that's kind of what she says to Jesus. She doesn't even tell him what to do. She says, hey, Jesus, son of mine, they have no wine. And Jesus implies uh, that, that she's looking for a, for a refill, for a refresh. And that's what she tells the servants is going to happen. Jumping into verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. That is a large stone jar, heavy, filled with water. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is a a public miracle. It's a public act that Jesus makes. It shows the control that he has over creation, and he does it to bring joy to continue the celebration. He does it to transform 
something which was meant for purification into something for greater purification. It wasn't just a matter of, uh, we ran out of drinks, go get a six-pack, Jesus. It was a matter of continuing the, the joy, continuing the celebration, continuing what marriage is supposed to be. I mean, if we look at marriage in the way that, that God talks about marriage in other places, it's representative of the union between him and us. It's given to us to show the oneness we have. And Jesus wants to continue this celebration of that oneness on earth as a representation of the oneness we have with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. After this, John writes, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. John makes another hard pivot in verse 13 to tell what happens when Jesus attends the Passover in the temple. So verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So one of the things here is often said or, or, you know, maybe joked, if you are asking what would Jesus do, always remember that making a whip of cords and driving people out of the temple is an option. Now, that's, that's definitely something only Jesus can do. It's his righteousness. It's his justice. It's his glory, which we hold on to. It's not our own, so it's not our job to whip and, uh, and drive out other people. It's his job. And John notes that his disciples remembered what was written. So this is going to be an after-the-fact inclusion, most likely, that the disciples John had been teaching over the course of his life, having written this gospel at the end of his life. He tells everyone, hey, those of us who are following Jesus, we remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So then he continues what's going on in verse 18. When the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So give us a reason that you're kicking us all out of the temple. We want to know. And Jesus answered them in verse 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said to him, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But then John notes, Jesus was speaking about the temple of his own body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now that's key. We need reminders. We need to remember all that Jesus has spoken, all that Jesus has done, and we need help to do that. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us in the remembering. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us in the understanding, and it's the Holy Spirit who gives us belief. The only way that we can believe what Jesus says about himself and about us is if we're empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. No one needed to bear witness about man to Jesus, for he knew himself what was in man. Now, this is a 
a thing where I, I believe Jesus knew that at that time, at that moment, if he had continued to do what he was doing, they would have crucified him. But Jesus also knew that he didn't need to be crucified yet. He needed to be crucified later after his ministry, not at the start of his ministry. And so he would continue on earth preaching, teaching, and leading his disciples in truth and in grace, showing us the way unto life everlasting. This is John's second chapter. A couple of hard pivots in here where we uh, come from in chapter one. It shows us the first public miracle of Jesus that uh, starts, initiates his ministry, shows Jesus kind of driving out unrighteousness from God's temple. And then it shows Jesus identifying who we are, seeing who we are, giving grace to who we are, because he knows what's in a man. For our beer review today, we were drinking Bell's Winter White Ale. I think Bell's Winter White's a great tasting beer. On Untapped, I gave it a 3.75 out of 5, and I'll drink it if you've got it. You know, I'd, I'd rather, if I'm going to the store, I'd rather probably buy another beer at the store, but it's still a great drinking beer. It gets down to a, a little bit of a family debate in, in my house. What's the best winter beer? Uh, my sister and I would always argue between us. I would rather pivot to a little bit of the darker beers. I tend to drink uh, Sam Adams Winter Lager when we were having these arguments, and she would always bring Sam, uh, Winter White from Bell's. Now, I think that flows right into what Bells said about their beer earlier. It's an alternative to the darker and heavier winter warmers and stouts. They brewed Winter White to be an alternative to to these uh, these other beers. But I'll say for me, for mine, I'll probably have a, a winter lager as we're uh, getting uh, ready and, and, and warming up this winter. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions, you can comment, you can Send me an email, Pastor Matt at HolyCrossOxford.com. Happy to take uh, requests for the next beers we're drinking, for the Bible passages we're reading. This is Beers and Bibles. No beer or Bible experience necessary. You're invited to follow Jesus, learn, and grow.